Hello, this is Bill Bonner and it's Bill Bonner's podcast on the 4th of September, 2019. We've never met Eddie Elfenbein. He describes himself as an esthete, a raconteur. We're sure we'd like him. On Monday, he sent this tweet. The Dow Jones Industrial Average peaked 90 years ago today at 381. By July 8, 1932, it had fallen to 41, a drop of 89%. The index wouldn't close at a new high until November 23, 1954, more than 25 years after the peak. Well, thank you, Mr. Elfenbein, for reminding us. Financial cycles can be long, unrelenting, and unforgiving. Of course, that was back then. This is now. With the Internet running hot and central bankers on the loose. It only took six years for the Dow to recover after the dot-bomb bust of 2000, and only three years following the financial crisis of 08-09. And now the authorities are hoping to recover from the next crisis before it even begins. Jerome Powell, head of the Fed, said his challenge now is to do what monetary policy can do to sustain the the expansion. But what can monetary policy really do? The problem is each monetary rescue comes at a higher and higher price, and it's less effective. Between 2000 and 2007, it took about $15 trillion in additional debt, public and private, taking the debt load from 240% of GDP to 340% of GDP to get the Dow back to its 1999 highs. Worldwide, debt increased 34%. Well, we've never been to Harvey, Illinois, but the press reported that the poor little town was forced to lay off police officers and firefighters in order to make good on its commitments to retired police officers and retired firefighters. Let's start that paragraph again. We've never been to Harvey, Illinois, but the press reported that the poor little town was forced to lay off police officers and firefighters to make good on its commitments to retired police officers and retired firefighters. That's how debt works. Money must be drawn from the present and from the future to pay for the past. The more debt, the slower the growth, the greater the poverty. In the next rescue, that's 2009 to 2019, the numbers got worse. In the U.S., the Fed spent $3.6 trillion on quantitative easing, $10 trillion worth of fiscal stimulus, that's deficits, $1.7 trillion for tax cut, and they offered negative, that's after inflation, Fed rates for nearly 10 years. Worldwide, debt more than doubled, growing five times faster than GDP. In the U.S., it was the weakest recovery in U.S. history, and it left the economy so weak and so monstrously distorted that it now needs constant infusions of fresh debt just to keep it alive. Yes, dear reader, that's one thing we've learned. When you pump up an economy with cheap credit, also known as debt, you have to keep pumping more and more in or it collapses. This was a lesson we got from Ludwig von Mises. And Richard Russell summarized it, saying, inflate or die. That's why Jerome Powell, Donald Trump, et al., are so desperate. 
They need to add more inflation, that's more credit, more money, more debt, just to keep the system from deflating. The president is calling for a 100 basis point cut in the Fed's key rate, for example. But investors are beginning to wonder, if lower interest rates were such a good idea, how come Japan and Europe are even in worse shape than we are? Maybe paying people to borrow money isn't the answer after all. Bloomberg reports, investors are increasingly signaling that they don't buy the inflation-boosting policies central banks are selling, with some even fretting that stimulus may do more harm than good. Well, here at the diary, we don't bother to ask whether it's a good idea to pay people to borrow, nor whether more debt will really make the economy better. We know the answer to those questions. Nor do we wonder whether the feds can prevent another crisis. The answer to that one is no, too. It would take a... F- Let's start this paragraph again. It would take forever to list all the things we don't know. The number of things we do know is comparatively minuscule. Still, the things we've learned over the last 20 years might be important. So this week, we work our way down the list. We had two big advantages when we began asking questions, by the way. First, we were already over 50 years old, with plenty of experience in business and family. Second, starting from nowhere, we were blessedly free of the dumb baggage that economists carry around. We could look at the economic world without academic prejudice and without the naive illusions of callow youth. Yesterday, we saw lesson number one. An economy can never really be fully understood, modeled, or controlled. As we came to see more clearly years later, all public policies designed to improve the economy are scams. But let's turn to the investment side today. We knew, for example, that wealth didn't come from nowhere. It had to be earned by hard work, self-discipline, and luck. We knew, too, that the measure of a company, its stock price and its capital value, was how much it would likely earn for its owners. So the dot-com boom of 2000 to 2007, no, no, start that again. So the dot-com boom, which lasted until the year 2000, looked false. Maybe some of the new tech companies would make money, most probably wouldn't. It also, okay, start it again. So the dot-com boom, which lasted until January 2000, looked false. Maybe some of the new tech companies would make money. Probably most wouldn't. But it was, wasn't, okay, let's try it one more time. So the dot-com boom, which ended in January 2000, looked false. Maybe some of the new tech companies would make money. Most probably wouldn't. But it wasn't easy to tell one from the other. We saw Amazon.com, for example, spending a fortune to get customers. Its retail model depended on undercutting competitors' prices. Losing money on each sale, Amazon hoped to make it up on volume. The river of no returns, we called it. We were right, and disastrously wrong, too. Twenty years later, the Great River still doesn't make any money on its retail business. But 
Apparently, by accident, its cloud computing and information selling operations have become hugely profitable. And so we come to lesson number two. Nobody knows anything. Just as the economy is too complex to control, so are markets too capricious to predict. All you can do, and then only through it glass darkly, is spot the extremes. This you do by looking at prices in terms of the two most immutable, most reliable measures on earth, time and gold. More tomorrow. Thank you.